Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show on 1490 WGCH that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Be inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. Happy Easter, everyone. I hope you have already had what is a blessed Easter Sunday and um, will continue to do so with your families and um, your children and and really thinking about all that this holiday means, this holy day indeed. I'm so grateful today to have a wonderful friend who is also, um, he was the head minister at a very unique church in New York City for almost a decade, the Marble Collegiate Church. It's like the oldest congregation on the island of Manhattan. And he was the senior minister there. I used to go and see him all the time, but now he teaches in universities. He does specials on uh, Christ uh, on television. He does PBS uh, wonderful series about living a loving and purposeful life. Dr. Michael Brown is going to join me for my special Easter edition Sunday today. I'm so grateful for that. And it's all brought to you by the wonderful people at Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule, a wonderful company, a wonderful product of nothing but fruits and vegetables in the capsules uh, to the tune of 31. When you put them all together, there is a variety of 31 different fruits and vegetables, and you get your daily requirement of 10 servings. Every time you take three and three capsules, it truly is has been remarkable for me and my family and everyone that I know that takes it. We are also grateful because you feel such a difference in so many ways. You feel stronger. Um, you notice that you get sick less often in terms of colds and flus and things like that. Um, these are just some of the things that I've experienced in my family and friends as well. You also feel an incredible sense of energy because good nutrition is energy. It's living energy for your body. So this product isn't available anywhere else. There is nothing that is like it. Um, There there might be somewhat imitations, but there is no balance of nature except for a balance of nature. And you can order it today easily and get 35% off of your first preferred order. If you put my name into the promo code, which is Laura, L-A-U-R-A, and you will get your 35% off and free shipping all the time. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. And on that note, we are going to come back with my special Easter Sunday guest on the way home. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Happy Easter, everyone. What a special day it is for so many of us celebrating the holiest, one of the holiest of days all year. Easter is one of my all-time favorites. I I love the theme around everything that uh, we were, uh, you know, we grew up learning about the life of Christ and then his subsequent uh, crucifixion, which ended up as a happily ever after in the sense that, again, he was risen. So it's always been such a hopeful and beautiful day in my heart. And I wanted to honor that by having someone who is close to me in my heart as well, someone who I uh, truly admire and who uh, changed my life when I walked into a church where he was the senior minister um, many years ago when I walked into the church, but uh, he remained there for almost a decade in New York City at one of the oldest congregations um, 
in America, which was the Marble Collegiate Church on 27th and 5th Avenue. And Dr. Michael Brown was such an inspiration when I went to church this one Easter Sunday, um, probably a decade ago, that I subsequently stayed in touch with him. One of the most erudite, interesting, profound, and incredible teachers, not only of uh, the life of Christ and theology, uh, religion and such, but just on the beautiful uh, themes of God and religion, that of love and living a purpose, love-filled life. He has so many credits and books and TV specials now um, under his hat. He's truly um, ubiquitous because he's traveling everywhere as a preacher now, based in the South in North Carolina, but he travels around to other churches, and he does motivational speaking in addition to uh, preaching in various churches. He's got a couple of books coming out, which we'll talk about because they both sound completely fascinating, and he's just a light in the world. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Michael Brown, for being on the show today. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Laura, and thank you for inviting me. It's always a joy being with you. God, the first time I saw you was when I walked into that unbelievable, beautiful church in Manhattan. It's the church where Norman Vincent Peale was a preacher for 52 years, I believe it was. Right. Yes, and so I was drawn to it because of that, because I was a huge fan of his and his wonderful magazine, Guidepost Magazine, and um, just loved his beautiful message. And in the middle of Manhattan, it was really a beacon of light. And when I went to the service, which was, I believe, an Easter service uh, many years ago, you were uh, preaching there, and I was captivated. I was inspired. I had tears of joy. It was just the most beautiful service that I could have imagined. And little did I know that you were so approachable, so kind in the vast middle of Manhattan. So we're talking thousands of people who would come to hear you every Sunday morning. And yet you would become a great friend just because you are so open to everyone. And, and I became a huge fan and started going back to that church ever so often. So here we are all these years later, I now in Indiana, you in North Carolina, far away from um, Manhattan, but Nevertheless, you are doing so many wonderful things, and it makes me grateful that people get to really hear the things that you teach and and can learn so much from your messages. So it's Easter Sunday, and um, you being the preacher that you are, what what is your probably most favorite thing about Easter, and what does it mean to you when you do preach on an Easter Sunday? What is the message that you like to dwell upon? You know, Laura, the, there are a couple of prongs of the fork. One is the theological, the biblical, the strictly religious. And um, at that point, if we're dealing with it, it's just this is the launch pad of Christianity, uh, the largest faith in the world, uh, well over 2 billion uh, people currently, and throughout the last 20 centuries, uh, and and a faith like many other of the great global faiths that's changed the world. Without Easter, there is no Christianity. There's no Christmas. There's no anything else. Uh, uh, Jesus would just have been yet another fairly popular blip on the screen for a brief period of time. So everything hinged on the resurrection. That's the religious side. The other side, where I think it connects with us, in our life, in our journey, in our experience, is that Easter 
is a profound reminder of the gift of fresh starts and second chances. You know, that even when it seems to be over, it's not always over. Dr. Pill, you mentioned him, uh, he used to say, it's always a little too early to give up. You know, and Easter's mm-hmm. a good reminder of that, that, that when you come to what appears to be the absolute end of the rope, uh, you're really not. There's, there's something around the next corner if you just hang on, tie a knot and hang on to the end of the rope because something yet is coming. That's a great Easter message for us is not to give up. We have a future. We do have a future. I think that's an incredible way to look at it. What, what is so interesting, though, about the actual the Easter trajectory of Jesus and how just when you thought it was completely over and every time you watch it on some iteration on, on a movie uh, about the depiction of the crucifixion and such, you do have this incredible sense of elation knowing that after that whole sadness, three days later, he's arisen. And then yeah. you think that's the end of this story, right? But then he appears to his loved ones, his beloved disciples, to Mary Magdalene. He he appears to them again. So then you think that's the maybe the end of the story because now he's going to be alive again and walking amongst us. But then yet again, he ascends. And so there's not only is there a second chance, but it seems to be a third, fourth, and fifth, and it goes on eternally. You know, one of the neat things, Laura, when you uh... – I teach, I, I, I teach some now, and, and I teach my students about this, that each of the Gospels tells the story, the birth story, the death story, and some of the life story in different ways because of the time when they were written, the perspective and worldview of the author, the audience to whom he was writing. Uh, Luke, for example, has Jesus appearing primarily, at least initially, to outsiders. Luke's whole gospel is written to people who feel like they were on the outside looking in. Uh, it starts out with, with uh, a teenage unwed mom uh, and her soon-to-be husband getting shut out of the inn and having to have a baby in a cave. Um, the whole announcement of that being made to third-shift shepherds, who were the lowest of the low, uh, and, and then the whole Gospel of Luke, for example, is about Jesus' love for lepers and prostitutes and thieves and Samaritans. Well, at the very end, the resurrection, who does he appear to? He appears to a couple of guys going on a road from Jerusalem, one of whom is never even named. They're not disciples. They're not anybody. But in Luke, it's a way of saying, hey, this isn't for the religious hierarchy, this isn't for the, the seats of power. This, this story is for us all. Mark never has him appear at all. The women go to the, to the tomb, it's empty, and the angel says, go to Galilee, and there you'll see him. What happened in Galilee? Um, he healed the paralytic. He healed the blind. He um, uh, blessed marriage at Cana. Um, he raised the uh, Jairus' daughter back to life. He, in Galilee, he was out there loving and helping people who felt alone and frightened and couldn't help themselves. So that Easter message, uh, unlike, say, Luke, which is, if you feel like an outsider, you're not, the Mark message is, if you want to experience the risen Jesus, 
don't just hang around waiting for something miraculous. Go out there where people are in pain, where they cannot help themselves, where they're hungry, where they're sleeping beneath bridges, where they're abused, where they're suffering uh, as a result of bigotry, fill in the blank. And when you help people, then you experience the risen power. So, you know, we read the four Gospels, and they're all profoundly different. But when you merge them together, uh, what an exciting message Easter becomes, you know? It is. And boy, I haven't heard it described quite like that before. But isn't that, well, that is your personal gift that I know about you watching you minister and and preach um, many, many Sundays. So that is just such an incredible perspective. I love to think of that, how, yeah, you do, you can see it from so many different sides. You, you teach at Duke University. I know that. Um, so mm-hmm. you come from, do you find and when high you, point. High and point at High University Point, well. at High Point University. Yeah. Yes. And so do you find that um, in an academic setting that these classes that you, that you teach, um, is there a hunger for it, for that generation, the, the college student? You know, Laura, uh, it, it depends on the level. And the answer is yes. But uh, the uh, nature of the hunger and the, the breadth of it varies. Uh, some of my teaching is among undergrads, a lot of them are freshmen and sophomore, uh, and then some is with people on graduate school level. They are taking it because this is their passion. This is going to be their career. Uh, they really want the information. They want to, They want the skill set. When you get the freshman and sophomore, uh, they're probably taking it, most of them, to get uh, that particular requirement box checked off. And there's a, a huge difference uh, when a person takes a course because it's desired as opposed to required. Mm-hmm. And when it's required, and particularly now where it's allowed for students to be in class and to set up their, their iPad or their laptop, and theoretically – they're taking notes, <laughs> but, you know, I'm looking at their faces and I'm not seeing their screens. And I know pretty well that some of them are um, answering emails and surfing the web. And and if I don't know it that very moment, I know it when they take the exams. <laughs> so, you Exactly. But, yeah. you know, Dr. Brown, you um, I, captivating was one of the words that I used when I was describing you. And that was the thing that kept me going back because a lot of times I would like to try different churches just to hear what their messages were. But I kept going back to Marble Collegiate when you were there because I always felt that I got something that I could take with me into my week and actually incorporate into my day or into my thinking, into my heart. And so that became, I have a feeling that maybe you have some some freshmen there that are just doing a required course and surfing the web and, you know, doing Twitter while they're taking your class, but they're hearing you. And I am absolutely certain that some of them thought they were going in there just to fill a requirement, but they were leaving there somewhat transformed enough to be interested to take more. You, you, you are that kind of a teacher, a person and uh, yeah. a, a preacher. Uh, Dr. That's Brown, I, well, it is so very true because it, it happened to me. Um, I wasn't as young as a college student, but when I started listening to you, uh, you have a, a couple of books 
coming out right now. You're not busy at all, but just a couple of books. And um, one's going to be coming out this year, correct? A long right. ago birth in a right now world. Tell sure. us about it. Uh, that is a collection of um, stories about the birth narratives of, of Christ from the four gospels. So what I do is, is take each of the gospel authors, describe who they were, when they wrote, to whom they wrote, why they wrote, and then launch into how that shaped and crafted their version of the birth story, including Mark, who doesn't have one at all. He doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus at all. And there's a reason for that, why he wouldn't have had to, because he's so vastly earlier than Matthew, Luke, or John. So he's writing to people who knew the dramatic stories. He doesn't have any post-resurrection appearances. He was writing to people who had been there to a great extent. What, what he was trying to do was say, you know, you know the glamour spots. You know the, the high points. Let me fill in what happened between here and there. It's not how he got here. It's what he did once he was. And that's kind of a side. But then you get to, to, to Matthew, and he writes this very Joseph-centric birth story because he is a Jewish Christian writing to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah and has to link Jesus to David and Abraham, and Joseph is the link. Luke, you get in there, he writes a very Mary-centric birth story because he's writing to Gentiles and Romans who don't give a flip about being connected to Abraham or to David, but who feel like outsiders. So anyway, I start with... Here's what was going on. And then John, he's writing in Greek, so his is all in your head, theological. I've described that. Here's what was going on. How does it translate to us? What, is, what do any of these stories have to do with our lives and our world in this particular moment um, facing our situations? It, it, it all probably was birthed um, by uh, preparing for last year's ABC Christmas Eve special. And um, and there was a little interest around that in, well, is there more stuff? And so just put together, uh, and that was a very, um, it, it was something that really dealt with human pain, with loneliness, with illness, with uh, the after effects of COVID, and with the fact that in one sense or another, we're all shepherds. We're all out in the darkness. You know, yes. And this was just this past Christmas, this right? Past, 2021. Yeah, yeah. So this was a, a big ABC TV special. And um, were you the only one on it or were there many special guests? It was uh, the Christmas Eve worship experience. Um, the Interfaith Broadcast Commission produced it and uh, ABC carried it um, coast to coast. But it was it was filmed at High Point University. So I was the preacher of the evening. Uh, there were other liturgists and their music department, plus uh, um, plus some additional musicians uh, as well, Marcus Hammond and others. But it was um, was it fun to be on TV like that with this? It must have been know, a great experience. Laura, I didn't think once I left New York City, I didn't assume I'd ever have that opportunity again. And we used to, to do those at, at Marble, but it was because it was Marble. Mm-hmm. You know, so whoever was the minister there, I knew that they wanted that great historic church. So I didn't assume I'd get to do another one. Therefore, I think it was, if anything, a little more special that 
suddenly I was asked, would you like to do one of these? When uh, my first response was, I don't even have a church anymore. And um, they said, well, can you find a place? And all right, I'm teaching at this university and it's beautiful. And how about that? And it worked. And it, was fun. it was fun. I, I loved it. And I love hearing from people that I'll never meet across the country, particularly those who say, you know, I felt like a shepherd. I lost a loved one or I'm living in a retirement center or a nursing home or um, I've been dealing with illness and it found a little hope or something. And that's a nice. A nice oh, thing. yes. Yeah. And if anybody sheds uh, a little hope onto people yearning ears and hearts, it's you, Dr. Michael Brown. So that's a wonderful. So we've got the, the long ago birth in a right now world, which is a book coming out. The special was on for Christmas uh, just a few months ago. Is it available? Can people find it on YouTube or on any of the platforms? I know that you can find it, um, I think, probably on YouTube, yes. Probably on the, I know for sure, on the Interfaith Broadcast Commission website, on the High Point University, highpoint.edu, it would be there. It's called A Serenade for Shepherds. So, yeah, it's, it's available. And then the, the, the title, that one sermon uh, that, that became the title for the show, uh, is included in the upcoming book. It's one of the one of the chapters. Absolutely. So that's that's exciting and beautiful. You have another book that's also in an agent's office at the moment. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that one? I mean, it's just incredible. Sure. It's it's not religious. You know, in, in addition to uh, teaching religion and having pastored churches and going around guests preaching here and there, I also do. Uh, the non-specifically religious uh, keynoting and motivational speaking, kind of the Brene Brown type thing. Yes. Um, I don't do it surely as well as Brene Brown, and I'm not half as pretty, but uh, but I do <laughs> I do some of that. And this book um, is called Chance Encounters, Lasting Impressions, uh, Lasting Lessons. Chance and, we're, we, we're toying with it. Chance Encounters, Lasting Lessons. And it's really a collection um, a, a large collection. It's going to be a, a fairly significant size of encounters I had, brief encounters I had with people, most of whom I did not know, had never met before, and will never meet again. And a takeaway from it, that or several takeaways that uh, that have lasted with me and are applicable, I think, to most of us. Um, as a follow-up uh, to, to more or less to the one that came from the PBS special, that, that book was uh, called The Love Principle. And this yes. was, it also had each chapter some takeaways, some lessons to apply. And this, this does the same. But you know, Laura, uh, uh, in New York City, a lot of the chapters came from there. Not all, but a lot came from there. And, um, whether you're in New York or anywhere else, to be honest, if you keep your eyes open and you pay attention, um, you're going to have numerous encounters per day mm-hmm. that uh, that teach you something valuable. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. The, and 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 if if we don't learn from that, how how we what a wonderful opportunity to grow as humans, that, and we cheat ourselves. We don't just keep. In uh, and so each chapter begins with the story of 
I was somewhere. I was on a subway platform. I was in Central Park. I was in a restaurant, whatever. And I overheard a conversation or someone bumped into me and said, or someone asked a question. And later I thought, wait a minute, that's, there's a lot of depth there, you know, and that's what I try to do with that one. It's, it's not religious, but the principles I think are uh, spiritual, perhaps certainly uh, uh, emotionally, psychologically helpful to me. And I hope they will be to a few other people too. You know, you reminded me of one time when we had lunch Um, It was at the Ace Hotel in Nomad in Manhattan, and you and I are sitting there and sitting all by himself at a table just a a few feet away from us is the late, great Anthony Bourdain, Mm -hmm. the wonderful chef who would travel all around the world, uh, part was it? parts unknown or something. He had some incredible series of TV shows. And I, I said, oh, my goodness, I would love to have him on my radio show. I was at WABC in New York at the time, and you were so great. You were like, go, go, talk to him. You were encouraging me tonight. Of course, they can say is no, yeah. And yeah. I thought I should be honored to be on your show. Well, you were so kind to think like that, and I'm just thinking that this poor soul just wants to eat his lunch, and the last thing he wants <laughs> is someone coming up to the table. But you gave me the courage, so I went over there, and I said, hi, Anthony, I'm so sorry to bother you. I adore your work and blah, blah, blah. I'm on WABC. I have a radio show. I I was hoping maybe you could come on and talk about the new TV show or something. He couldn't have been nicer. He said, oh, absolutely. He said, let me give you my, you know, my publicist name and her, here's her phone number and her email address and call her. And as soon as she says I can do it, I'll do it for you. He was the nicest guy. And sadly, he left that week, I think, to start filming that show. And the rest is history. He spent the rest of the years taping all over and far flung countries and that most exquisite i love absolutely love that that series but um i never did get to have him on but i'll never forget saying hello to him and it was you that gave me the courage you are a motivational guy (laughs) that that restaurant a a wonderful little restaurant was right across the street from my office and uh that day with you and anthony bourdain that's memorable may i tell you another uh story from that restaurant i'll make it brief Oh, sure. Love it. Okay. I'm sitting at lunch one day with Marianne Williamson, and Mm -hmm. we're discussing what we do and speaking. And I'm saying, you know, pretty soon I'm going to leave New York and um, I won't be a minister of a church anymore, but I still want to be out on the circuit speaking. And I said, uh, Marianne and I are, are pretty close to the same age. And I said, you know, what worries me is as I age, am I still going to be relevant or will I be yesterday's news? Marianne said, uh, you know, there's something that you get only by living long enough, and that's experience. And she said, if you properly interpret experience, it becomes wisdom. And she, she is just lovely but direct. I mean, whatever hits her head comes out of her mouth. She looked across the table at me and she said, uh, now, if you want to go hide in a hole somewhere with your experience and your wisdom, that's up to you. As for me, she said, I think I'm going to run for president. And I laughed. And lo and behold, she did. I mean, (laughs) next thing you know, there she is on the debate (laughs) stage. But I've always thought about that that advice in that moment. Uh, if you live long enough, 
you know, it's 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 like the the insurance commercial. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. If you live long enough and pay attention, you learn a few things. And so you reach an age of saying, do I throw that all away and hide in a hole, like she said? Or do right. we try to use that to make life maybe a little better for other people? Even though I never did make the leap to say I'm going to run for president. <laughs> but Mary Ann did. She did. She absolutely did. I know her also. She is she is quite something. And she she truly um, has. Oh, my gosh. She's a great talker. Also, I think I went to uh, one of her talks one time and she spoke for eight hours straight. <laughs> she really just kept going. And, and she's she's got the wisdom, too. And it's it's interesting stuff. But, you know, I think that's a really good point. You can aging is an interesting process that you don't think about it until you're like a few decades in and then you go, hmm, I can either run with this. I can either try to get better and um, be the best version of myself or I can start going into all that. Well, you know, I'm getting old type of thing. And it really is perspective, which is um, you know, in some way, people think maybe that's not spiritual, but I think it has everything to do with spirituality, how we see ourselves and whether we're seeing ourselves, you know, kind of as a, a spiritual reflection or just kind of a body and a time machine that's, you know, g- whose time is going to be up anytime soon. So it's, it yeah, really you mean, helps. Your life doesn't, your life shouldn't end before your body does, you know? And, uh, and there's that myth that, that you reach a point where you no longer have anything to offer. You're just taking up space. And that is hugely mythological. Uh, and even in recent history, we, as we read about the lives of people, tremendous impact, uh, they're not all under 40, you know? That's right. Um, I mean, in the political realm, um, uh, Nowadays, you look at the ages of leaders in both parties, uh, in entertainment, in literature, uh, medicine. I read an article last week about people who retire and then choose to go back to work because after retiring for a short while, they feel like some big something is missing. And uh, it was talking about uh, CEOs and people like that who are out of the workforce for a short period of time and go back. And it was listing some of the things they do, which I found fascinating. Uh, former, former attorneys, uh, former physicians who are now uh, driving trucks, uh-huh. 18 wheelers. And you ask them why you don't have to do that. They said, we want to work. We want to see uh, an entirely different slice of life than we had. Uh, we want to do something new, but we want to do, we want to be out there. We want to be busy. We want to contribute. Why not live while you're alive? Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I've been a student of Christian science for many years. And the woman who founded it back when slavery was being abolished in the 1800s, she went on to live into her Mary Baker Eddy, and she ended up living into her 90s. And she at age 85. Now, this is a woman from the Victorian era who was basically seen as property to to, to most men of that time. And here she founded a, a movement, a church, a metaphysical college. She did a hundred different things in her life. And at age 85, she decided that the press was just not fair, that it wasn't 
honest, and she wanted to start a newspaper that would harm no person but bless all mankind. That's what she called it. It's called the Christian Science Monitor. It has won more Pulitzer Prizes than almost any newspaper. It's still in circulation today. It's an absolutely brilliant um, piece of journalism that continues on to this day. But she decided that at 85. Well, I, you know, there's not another good paper around. I think I need to start one. And I, I loved that mentality. Her whole thing was never count your age, just just keep living at your life your fullest. I saw a, a documentary or documentary, a, a news clip on TV recently. It was, it was a five minute thing that a certain station does to lift up personalities that are of interest. And this particular day, they dealt with a physician in a small town, a town of about 800 people. So tiny little town who has been practicing medicine there since the 1950s. He's 90 years old. He goes into his office six days a week. Uh, His daughter is his receptionist and and files the insurance and things. And uh, when they interviewed him, they said, uh, are you ever going to retire? And he's 90. He said, yeah, probably someday. And they said, why not before 90? And he said, I practice medicine. There's sick people in our community, and I can make them well. Why would I walk away? And it became really clear that he gets energy about it. He has fun doing it. It's his life. Um, arguably, I would say he may not have lived to 90 had he, had he just decided to sit and watch the sun come up and go down. Not that and there's that- anything wrong with that, but he, found, he invests himself in life to return his life. And he's living his purpose, and you have that wonderful PBS uh, series that you did, um, The Love Principle, Five Steps to Loving and a, to a loving and purposeful life. And that's another wonderful one as well. And I just encourage everybody. My guest is the wonderful Dr. Michael Brown. He's a minister, a preacher, a writer, a professor, a motivational speaker, and so much more. I would say a healer of the heart, mind, and spirit. He is my guest today on Easter Sunday because I wanted somebody who just lifted me up all many years ago in Manhattan at the Marble Collegiate Church. But still, every time I think of you, Dr. Michael Brown, I get that same beautiful feeling of of just oneness and Christ and and God and purpose and and living life to its absolute most blessed fullest uh, point. And you do that. And you're a great example. Everyone should check you out. Do you have a website people can go to to find you or should they just Google you? I I do. Actually, it's um, drmichaelbbrown.com. You know, W. And is it Dr. Doctor? Yeah, Dr. Dr. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-B-R-O-W-N. So if you leave out the middle B, you get somebody else. There's another Dr. Michael Brown who is... uh, um, A hypnotist or something. (laughs) Well, he's he's, he's in ministry. He's very popular, but he's, uh, I think, very uh, political. And uh, he and I are not... We the same person the same ball field at all <laughs> that is correct so when you go to find his website it's dr michael b brown michael letter b brown.com there you dr. go brown i thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for being here and Laura, god bless you and your family you is always a joy and i hope you will have a happy happy easter and all the resurrection goodness will rise up for you today and your listeners And you as well. I thank you for that. 
You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, I don't know um, how everyone has kind of stayed up with newspapers um, over the last several years. But I, for one, have gone from getting newspapers um, at the newsstand while I lived in New York to now uh, having all of my papers delivered to me online. Either way, I think newspapers have traditionally, historically, always uh, played a big part in how we uh, find out what's going on in our world. I, for one, really love the format of a newspaper. And it's very interesting to note that uh, a, a historical paper um, is coming back, at, at which I find so interesting. And so I'm very excited uh, to speak with Dovid Fiun. He is the uh, chairman of the historic New York Sun. And even no matter where you are in the country, I know people get newspapers from all different states. It doesn't matter where they live. And so, Dovid, thank you so much for joining us. I want to hear all about the relaunch of this historical 1833 newspaper. Sure. And thank you for having me, Laura. Um, Where would you like to start? Well, my goodness, uh, back after the Civil War, when it grew to become America's largest newspaper, who knew? Um, and yet uh, it ended in 1950, and now it's coming back. So oh, there's a whole bunch of th- things that I would like to touch on. But um, in the age of digital and, and all of this, um, tell us why The Sun um, is is coming back, the New York Sun is coming back, and what can we expect to get from this newspaper that maybe we're not getting in our our mainstream ones, to name a few, the New York Times, the Post, the Washington Post, uh, the USA Today. It would tell us a, a little bit about why this is coming back and some of the uh, some of the historical facts as well, which I find interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's not a stretch to say that the New York Sun is really the most consequential newspaper in the history of American journalism. You know, going all the way back to 1833, as you mentioned, it really pioneered modern newspapering uh, in in in, every, in almost uh, every way that we that we recognize it today. You know, when the Sun was was founded, it was at a time when you know really only wealthy people and elites would read newspapers. They were expensive and they were hard to get hold of, and they weren't so relevant to to your working man and woman. And the Sun introduced the uh, the penny press. Um, and introduced uh, paper boys and crime reporting and fashion coverage and human interest stories and um, a lot of innovations in in how printing was done and the Associated Press was founded in the Sun's office. It employed the first woman in American journalism. Um, It uh, published its first abolitionist editorial on its fourth day in print decades before emancipation. So it's really a paper that you know, has been at the forefront of American journalism and really pioneered this idea that every person could participate and should be connected to the press and that we would be a better citizenry and a better democracy as a result of that. Um, but in terms of why we're coming back today, which is what you asked about, you know, really, and you mentioned some of those other newspapers, there's um, something of a crisis going on in journalism today. You know, we can call it a a crisis in trust. The vast majority of Americans just do not trust 
the papers of record that are so prominent and stand at the forefront of our nation's public discourse. And the New York Sun is a newspaper that has, you know, 200 years of specifically advocating for the American public. It bears the uh, immortal slogan, it shines for all on its masthead. Um, It's really a newspaper that is built for this very moment. And our goal is really to have a significant impact on that rebuilding of bridges between the reader and the newspaper and journalism and, uh, you know, really building and bringing back a newspaper that was designed for this very moment that was made for a moment like this. My guest is the publisher and chairman of the historic New York Sun newspaper, which is coming back, Dovid Ifune. So you really hit the nail on the head, proverbially, I would say, talking about people not really being able to trust um, and and people not even realizing that maybe what they're reading is, well, to for lack of a better term, but what's become mainstream is fake news. And nobody wants to feel that they are, you know, being fed something that may or may not be true. We need to know what's going on. So um, so how is the sun going to guard itself against what is taking place in our newsrooms and in the media um, and with this newspaper? What is it going to do to, to um, serve the, the American public as a whole and um, not deviate to take one side or the other of the political spectrum and filter everything through a single lens like that. Um, what what are what kind of uh, actions are, are in place right now so that so that we can get something a little more pure? Absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about um, you know the politics and partisanship of news. I mean, the Sun is a paper that has always placed principle over politics and partisanship. And, you know, it has a firmly held sense of ideals. Um, It's not a newspaper that I would describe as vanilla. It has, you know, strong perspective and sense of the world, certainly historical context. It has strong values and ideology, American values, constitutionalist values. Um, But it is a newspaper that does not live and breathe to serve the interests of a political agenda or political party. It uh, it lives to serve the interests of its public, the American public, and advocate for, for their interests. And, you know, in terms of maintaining and upholding that type of newsroom, that type of journalism, it's really all about your people. It's about uh, the, the people. Um, so, um, you know, we know that the strength of any newspaper is not measured in market cap or cash on a hand, but in the hearts and minds of its editors and its journalists. And we put a lot of focus on bringing the best and the brightest to our newsroom. Our editor-in-chief, Seth Lipsky, um, is a real icon of journalism. He's trained some of the finest journalists in the country, spent 20 years at the Wall Street Journal. He's famous for writing the Citizens Constitution and uh, he, he, together with our other editors, interviewed, I think, around two to three hundred people. Um, you know, when we when we re- relaunched the Sun and selected really the finest from among them. So, you know, they're smart folks, uh, thoughtful, um, articulate, intelligent, um, but those who can really add value and insights to your daily life and living. 
and uh, you know understand you know what it takes to bring a journalism to the table that is high impact journalism that focuses on you know what's valuable for 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 your future for our collective future for the country for our communities for our families and and obviously for the the preservation of uh, the uniquely american idea that uh, that came with the birth of our country Absolutely. And it used to sell for a penny, um, as you mentioned before, penny uh, newspaper. And so how are people going in what format can people get the sun and subscribe to it? And how much is it going to cost? Well, today it's online. Um, you know, it would be nice if we could do it for, for a penny. Um, but, you know, with inflation, uh, we've got to be able to, 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 to cover our expenses, especially bringing that fine journalism to you, but I encourage everybody to go check it out at nysun.com, www.nysun.com. It's easy to access. Um, you can sign up for free to receive the newsletter every day. There's the morning sun in the morning, the evening sun in the evening. There'll be a little pop-up that invites you to put in your email. Definitely encourage you to do that. And then um, you can subscribe and become a member and, and a part of our community Subscriptions start at only 12 bucks a month, so we hope there's something there that is affordable and accessible to everybody. Of course, um, to, we, we, we see journalism as a participatory sport, and we know that there are so many who have not yet found their home. So we uh, stand here the New York Sun with our arms wide open and welcome you know, anybody who feels disenfranchised by, by the journalism and the newspapers that are out there come and check us out and consider not just reading our newspaper, but really becoming a part of our movement to bring back better journalism to the forefront of our public and political discourse. Amen to that. Absolutely. Uh, so excited to um, read uh, the New York Sun and and hopefully people listening to this will give it a try as well. Digitally available at NY Sun and that's S-U-N, um, NY Sun dot com with the motto once again say the motto of the paper one more time for us dovid it shines for all the new york sun shines for all beautiful it shines for all and indeed i'm sure it will and looking forward to reading it my guest is david Effune, publisher and chairman of the historic new york sun newspaper originally uh came out in 1833 in a brand new version uh for your liking and subscription opportunities at nysun.com. Thank you so much, Dovid. Oh, it's great to be with you, Laura. Thank you for having me. A great pleasure. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, I'm so grateful to all of you who are tuned in on this Easter Sunday. Maybe you're just leaving church. Maybe you're on your way to your mom's or your parents or or your children's homes for a lovely Easter dinner and maybe even a little egg hunt. But um, today, my my normal guru of good news, Jim Cleefield, is normally here with great uplifting stories, the good news point of the show. But being on a holiday, he is taking the Sunday off. So I have my most wonderful uh, engineer who's been with me for wow a long time and uh you know you're you're good news just yourself bob small you're always good news to me because you always put this show together you do it with um kindness and and expertise and i'm always so grateful for you so thank you for being here on easter sunday 
I don't know what else to say. That was wonderful. Thank you. And happy well, Easter so, to you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I just love this day. It means so much. It's a, it's a time for real real reflection. I know that you ring the bells in the church as I was um, I was telling Dr. Michael Brown after we finished the show. Um, you ring the bells at the is it the first congregational church in Greenwich, Connecticut? That's right. I can't even imagine if I, I wouldn't have any idea on how to get the right sound. And those bells are not not light, are they? They're heavy. No, but there's a new kind of bell out now. They call them chimes, and they're much lighter, and they have a kind of a lighter sound even, to be honest. Um, and they are easier to play in some regard. But you play them well, the same wonderful. as you play the bells. You re- they read off the same music and, and such. So you read music for ringing a bell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something about that, though, the tinkling of the bell. Mm-hmm. And and it really can they talk, you know, they talk about sound being an actual healing force. And I think when I hear a bell or a chime, it can really take you when you hear those wind chimes in the wind, they can take your heart and your soul and you just kind of feel like you're you're going to another place. So I think that you ring the bells is actually you're you're doing something very healing when you're doing it. I think you must get back to it. Yeah, it reminds me of how I felt the first time I heard them and why I was so happy to get the chance to play them. Yeah, Really? You had that experience? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful sound. It yeah. truly is. Mm. And that's what we need is um, beautiful sounds in the world. And so I am so grateful to be with you today. Next week, we'll be back with Jim Cleefield giving us his good news stories. But to all of you um, who are listening today, once again, I wish you a very, very happy Easter and a beautiful day with your families. I'm so grateful for the family here of uh, Balance of Nature, that family. They're a wonderful, they're an actual family. And I I spend a lot of time with them and I know that they're all together and um, all in church today as well, but out in Utah. And um, so I just thank all of you listening to the program To The Way Home with Laura Smith. It gives me great joy to bring you guests like Dr. Michael Brown and Dovid Yafoon, people with interesting, fascinating messages and stories to tell. So thank you for joining us every single week. As I said, happy Easter. And Bob Small, thank you so much for uh, putting this all together. My pleasure. Happy Easter to you. This is The Way Home. I'm Laura Smith. See you next time.